Divorce is not a happy topic to discuss and something that no one plans for, but it happens. It's a fact of life. And if you are going through a divorce, then this episode is for you as we talk you through everything you need to know, right from the basics of how the process works to getting into the key financial considerations if you are getting divorced. And obviously that would lead us into talking about how one of your most valuable assets the NHS pension is valued and split during divorce. And that's pretty complicated. We also go on to talk about some common financial and non-financial mistakes. And we end the episode on a happy note with life after divorce and how to make the most of that. So I hope this episode never applies to you. But if it does, I hope that it helps you. Don't forget to hit subscribe and like. Thanks so much for watching. Let's get into today's episode. The Medics Money podcast helps doctors, dentists, and other professionals make better financial decisions. Hosted by myself, Dr. Tommy Perkins, a GP. And by me, Dr. Ed Cantelow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and chartered tax advisor. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute any form of advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. So on today's podcast, we are talking about the difficult subject of divorce. And we've got, are we going to say like you guys are divorce experts? I mean, you help a lot of doctors deal with divorce. Is that a better way to describe you, Daniel and Jane? Definitely. We both have particular specialisms that cross over in this um, rather nicely is a very strange word to you. certainly a bit for crossover brilliant yeah and just for those listeners who who haven't heard you before could just give yourself a like a brief intro and tell us like why you are qualified to talk about today's pretty complex topic yes so my name is daniel foy i'm a chartered financial planner for mazars financial planning and in particular i have a specialism in the nhs field so we deal primarily with a lot of kind of the healthcare sector, whether that be GPs, consultants, or anyone in the NHS space. So my background comes a lot from dealing with dealing directly with the NHS, the complications of the NHS pension scheme, and trying to help people kind of navigate the minefield that is. And I'm Jane Wildish. I've been advising for over 20 years. I think it's probably closer to 25 now. I am a senior financial planner at Mazars based in the London office. I'm also a trained divorce coach and have taken some coaching qualifications around the divorce area. So I specialise purely in the divorce side. So when we have a divorce that is someone in the NHS, Dan and I will tend to work together and discuss it. And we can work with both parties or one party, depending on the need and what they're looking to achieve. Awesome. And, you know, most of our podcasts come from requests and this was one that was requested. So, you know, it is a reality. So for those that are not aware, can we just start a bit by outlining the divorce process in general terms before we get into talking about the complex stuff like pensions, assets, splitting everything up? But what is it? What? Tell me a bit about the divorce process. Sure. I'm just going to start off with, we know firsthand, no matter whose decision or who's to blame, divorce and separation is a real emotional roller coaster. It's a period of massive uncertainty, stress. It's potentially slow and costly. There's no winners in divorce and it can take a massive toll on the family. Only 4% of people take financial advice during divorce. 96% wish they had. It's been typical for financial planners to get involved at settlement stage, but really that's far too late. 
So if we then think how we can work with people, we'll talk through the process first of all and then talk how you can work with a planner to make it easier for everybody. So first thing you need to do is to check online to see if you're eligible to get divorced. It may be because you've had a short marriage or you've been married abroad that actually you're not eligible to apply for a divorce. Once you know that you can, you then before you do anything, really think about the strategy for your children and any child maintenance. There's a government website that with a calculation based on the nights and your income. And this is gov.uk forward slash calculate child maintenance. Then you really need to start thinking about your assets, including all of your crypto, your golf clubs and your handbags. Basically, any item over £500 will need to be disclosed. You need to think about your state pension, your financial and non-financial contribution. What's been the knock-on effects of a primary carer to their careers and assets? Once you've thought about those sorts of things, you can then think about applying for a divorce online. It's £593 and you can do this via the government website again, gov.uk forward slash divorce. Then you need to wait a minimum of 20 weeks. Once you've done that, you can apply for a conditional order. And that was previously a decree NISI. During that next period, you you really need to start completing the financial process. And this is where organisation from the previous steps really comes together. You need to collect all of your information and this can take a while. Things I did when I went through mine and I, I share with my clients is to start gathering information as early as you can. Get a file on your, I use Apple, so a file on, on your phone. And you can just start downloading statements because you will need to disclose 12 months worth of bank statements. You need to any asset you have, whether it's a pension, an investment, crypto, as I said, and any item over £500, which may include furniture, just need to start gathering all of that ready to disclose at all. If you've got pensions, that can take quite a bit longer and there's specific information that you will need to obtain. When you've got all of that and everything's ready, you can apply for the final order. And that's the decree absolute. So the whole process can take a minimum of 26 weeks. You can apply for the consent order, which is where the court effectively rubber stamp and agree the financial agreements. You can do that within any of the stages, but really you should do that before you do the final order. Because if the the divorce is granted and and you need to split assets, there can be tax implications and also what happens if one of you die before as well. So there's things that you need to consider and a real order of events that you need to do. Even before the no-blame divorce, which was introduced in April 22, behaviour and blame may not actually affect settlements. And really, the courts are looking for parity. Wow. So many things that I did not know that I just learned there. And also, thanks for sharing your personal experience there, because I think that is just going to help so many of our listeners who are going through what I imagine to be a really difficult time. But you need to make a list of all of your assets over £500 and nothing happens for 20 weeks. Is that right? Yeah, so, I mean, that sounds like it's a really long time, but actually it can take you a really long time to gather your information. I worked with someone recently that had, I don't know how many bank accounts, and you have to have about 12 months bank statements for every account that you have. If if there's an account that your partner might know about that you haven't actually even used, you might need to get a closing statement to show that is not there anymore. You need to know everything, you'll need to get information on any products you hold, so insurances, Pension information is particularly tricky as it ends. Your information needs to be within six months as well for the pension, but also house values. And you can end up with a lot of paperwork. So the easiest thing really is to have a, a section on your phone where you can just make a keep notes, but also just keeping your paperwork ready 
if you do then use a solicitor you will then need to submit all of that to a solicitor so it's already all on pdf or on, on your phone it's quite easy to then submit to the solicitor as a bundle yeah yeah so get organized basically is what i'm hearing there okay and we've touched upon the sort of emotional aspects and if the children are involved as well but this is called the medics money podcast so what are the key things that you need to think about from a financial money point of view okay before we actually touch on the specifics of the nhs pension which dan will cover there's other things that you really need to be thinking about so it's such as your income capacity and your ability to earn so if you're both doing similar jobs that's an easier thing but if one of you has taken a career break that sort of thing will matter. How much mortgage could someone get, for example? What's the impact of that on property? What access do they have to resources? And what were the standards of living like in the marriage? How old are you and your partner or ex-partner? And what was the duration of your marriage? Is there any physical or mental health considerations you need to be aware of? And what were the financial and non-financial contributions that you've both brought to the marriage? It's very easy to think, oh, I earn all the money and my partner stayed at home and looked after the children but actually what does that do to their asset split do they have the state pension for example what about their pensions and as I said already what about the ability to borrow in the form of a mortgage or even rent a house then we think about the value of the benefits that might be lost in the divorce and finally conduct would matter I think that's probably a good time to pass over to Dan really to talk about the specifics of the NHS benefits that you could have or could be losing yeah jane's left the easy bit to you dan i noticed but before we go into the easy bit can i just ask when you say like you've got all this and this is probably a really basic question i apologize but you've got all this information you've got all the stuff together who ultimately decides the split is it the court is it the solicitor do you just thrash it out yourselves or how does that bit work it's very different in scotland so i'm not going to talk about scottish law just focus on england and there's different ways to do it so if you won't go through the court process which is slow and at the moment there's a very long waiting list to go through the courts in part because of covid but if, if you were to go through the court process the starting point is 50 50 and then the scales will be tipped depending on need so just take the example, in the old days, it used to be the wife or the primary carer would retain the family home for the children. Now the courts are really looking at, let's take the example of two children, boy and a girl. They're really looking for both people to, to potentially have a semi-detached with a garden and a driveway and three bedrooms. And that would really be, they're looking to achieve power. That's not to say, obviously, if you've got way or more or way less, that's what the court will give you. That's just to sort of give you an indication of trying to achieve parity. Obviously, every situation is different and the scales could be tipped in favour of one over the other. For example, when we were talking about income and resources, if one is a non-earner and has been out of work for many years, it would be very wrong to award a 50-50 settlement. And there's things that the courts can do. You don't have to go through the court process. There's clients that we work with that are not using the the court process at all and are doing their divorce purely through a a financial planner. It is a 50-50 split and it's quite an easy, I don't want to say easy because there's no easy divorce. But the final stage will have to go, the consent order will always go through a solicitor to be put through to the courts. And that's a piece that I would really stress. You must take legal advice. Well, you should take legal advice at any stage, but the consent order is really important that you get the wording right on there to prevent future claims as well. 
Okay, brilliant. That's awesome. Thanks for answering that quite simple question. Yeah, Dan, we just left you the easy bit now. So just in a couple of sentences, just explain what happens to your NHS pension. But we're making a, a lighthearted comment here, but this is something that we get people asking us all the time. And it seems incredibly complicated, not helped by long delays getting information. But where do you want to start with what happens? Because your NHS pension is an incredibly valuable asset. So what do we do with it if we get divorced? You are very much correct, Tommy, in that it is an incredibly valuable asset. However, how do you put an actual value on the NHS pension is probably where I would start because... As you will know from your statements, for those who have statements, your NHS pension is going to give you a guaranteed income in the future for the rest of your life with certain benefits attached. And whilst it's a very valuable benefit, if you are 20 years away from retirement getting divorced, how on earth does that feed into the, the statements? You may well see something on your statement in a hypothetical annuity cost which is where effectively the NHS try to give the pension a value as a capital lump sum. Now, that is completely irrelevant for a divorce, but it's the closest thing that I can reference that you will have ever have seen on your statements. So what actually happens is when you are about to get a divorce, as Jane's mentioned already, and you try to collate your information, you have to go to the NHS pension scheme and you have to ask them for a cash equivalent transfer value. And that effectively looks at what is the capital value of my lump sum? How much is that pension actually worth? Now, the NHS pension, upon receipt of that request, have three months to then give you a response and give you a cash equivalent transfer value. I call it CETV from this point onwards. When, again, we mentioned that nothing happens for 20 weeks and and Jane mentioned, you know, this is where you kind of collate all the information, you pull everything together, NHS have three months to provide you with that information. And so, again, it's kind of a things that can be moving in the background task. First and foremost, this is on the assumption that all of your records are up to date, everything's filled in, everything's complete, and NHS pensions are able to calculate the CETV, which will touch on what happens if that's not possible. But once they have that, what effectively they do is they use an actuarial calculation to look at how much are those schemes worth. Now, it will be dependent on certain assumptions and certain certain rates, which are way beyond the depth of what we need to go into in today's podcast. But it very much looks at trying to put a capital value on that scheme. Now, rather importantly, when you go through a pension sharing order, many members will have a 1995 scheme, they will have a 2008 scheme, and they will now have a 2015 scheme if they're still an active member. Each of these schemes has to be treated independent of one another. So if you are a member of all three in the rare camp or more likely a member of two, you will have to get two or three cash equivalent transfer values, one for each scheme. And the reason being they all have different accrual rates, different retirement dates and different spousal benefits. So it's very difficult to put all of those into one. So it's treated very much as a separate scheme. Does that make sense from an initial point? It does. The cash equivalent transfer, do we want to go into how that's calculated? Probably not. Probably not. It it, it comes back to many different factors, which are all based on kind of revaluation rates, guilt rates, moving forward. It's, It's a very 
complex actuarial calculation that it has to be done by a scheme of actuaries. It's not something that anyone can estimate. And it is something that will move up and down as in particular interest rates do in the UK, for example. As interest rates move, your cash equivalent transfer value might move, which is why the, the statements have to be within the last six months, for example. Feel free to opt out of this one because I'm going to ask about McLeod and the NHS pension. The reason why I'm saying opt out is that the legislation is still coming out week by week. We're learning more and more about how this can work. But I was just thinking about this the other day that McLeod could be really complicated. Well, it's going to be really complicated anyway, but it's going to be really complicated if you're going for a divorce, is it not? It is, yes. Because as I mentioned, every scheme has to have its own independent CETV. And the seven-year window, the remedy period from 2015 up until 2022, prior to the 5th of April 2022, would have been valued in that 2015 scheme. And so that cash equivalent transfer value would have been much higher. However, what's happened since then, and post McLeod, and, and hopefully some of your members are starting to see those statements look post McLeod, as they should, what your members are starting to see is all of those have been reverted back into the older schemes. And so... In doing that, what we should now have is a true reflection of those 1995 or 2008 schemes. So anyone who's going through divorces naturally will have had a valuation given to them, but it may well now be that those need to be recalculated. Now, if you're further along in the process of divorce, what your solicitor is most likely to have done is obtained an expert pensions witness report. And what that does is it looks at the valuation of assets and it looks at the valuations of your pension schemes. And it says, based on either trying to equalise the capital value of assets or trying to equalise future income, we think that it should be split according to X, Y and Z. Now, your pensions expert witness report will make reference to McLeod. And in ones that we have seen over the past couple of years, what they have tended to do is refer to it, but apply the pension sharing order to one scheme. Now, based on past experience and based on absolutely no actuarial expertise in here, I will throw in every caveat I possibly can. What we have commonly seen is that the expert witnesses tend to prefer applying a pension sharing order on the older of the schemes on the basis that is what they deem to be fairest, both pre and post McLeod. Now, obviously that position should become a lot simpler, but there will be a few of your members, unfortunately, who fall into this rather strange date gap of having kind of the, the pre McLeod, but then having it applied on a post McLeod basis. If you're in any doubt, the easiest thing to do is probably get a new cash equivalent transfer value because your statement should now be in a position where they are true and correct post McLeod. Awesome. And, you know, caveat, subject to change, consult an expert, not advice. So that was a really good explanation of how it works, Daniel. But I mean, how does it like work in practice? Do both parties get left with a bit of the NHS pension or, or what happens? Yeah, that's a, a really good question. So in terms of the what practically happens the nhs well the courts will will actually have one of three options when they do when they implement a pension sharing order on divorce 
The first option will be pension sharing, which is effectively where the pension is split and shared with the ex-spouse. Before the NHS pension scheme, it meant, it, as I mentioned, the, the CETV that's given. If that CETV comes out at, for example, £1 million, and the courts decide it's a 50-50 split and they've decided to split it 50-50, the ex-spouse, funnily enough, will be entitled to a £500,000 payment from the NHS pensions. Now, that may well be something that they offer the member to retain in the scheme, particularly if the ex-spouse is actually a member of the NHS. So if we have two NHS members who are getting divorced, it may well be that payment of the CETV can be transferred and given as effectively a pension credit, which just uplifts your benefits in the scheme and gives you an extra, if you think of it, an extra couple of years entitlement to the NHS, which again, reversing the actuarial calculations, equates to half a million pounds as a CETV in that example. Or it might be if that member is not in the NHS pension scheme, that they just simply pay a lump sum of £500,000 to the ex-spouse and says to them, take that £500,000, it must be paid into a defined contribution pension scheme. A, for example, a lot of people will have heard of the word SIP, or personal pensions, um, a lot of people will be more familiar with those terms. And what they will do is they will just transfer half a million pounds to the other member in a pension of their choosing. Now, that typically is a preferred route because in that instance, what you have is a very clear split of benefits and a very clear and defined way forward. Both members are not reliant on one another. The pension has then been effectively split and is done. However, there are problems with that in that sometimes it's not always possible to do that. As James mentioned, if that's not likely to lead to parity in other aspects, then the court may well need to look at different options, in which case they may look at offsetting, which is effectively where they say, OK, your pension is worth X but the house is worth Y, or your savings are worth Z. And in that scenario, what they may well do is not actually apply a pension sharing order on any pension. They may well exclude the pensions and use what's known as offsetting, i.e. you both get 50-50, but you keep that, that asset and you keep that asset. Very tricky way of doing things because, as Jane will touch on, Liquidity is key and, and what's more beneficial, having a, a home or having an NHS pension scheme. I don't say that in the sense of be homeless, which is very much what it sounded like there. But in the sense of do you want the, the family home, the marital home, or do you want bricks and mortar? Or do you actually, are you better off retaining that future income and finding a split of assets in a different way? So there is offsetting, which, which works. Final option is earmarking, which is, I think it's a very less common method of pension sharing nowadays. And so it tends to be that the two pension members still remain reliant on one another. And it just effectively earmarks a share of that pension is to be paid to the ex-spouse. And so again, they're very kind of intertwined in that sense, which is not the clean break really that anyone's looking for and so is, is very much less common nowadays, but that is still an option that's on the table. So shall we move on 
to, you know, from your experience, where do people tend to fall down or maybe like underestimate things from a financial perspective when they're getting divorced? I think from experience, a lot of people want to trade off assets to attain the family home. And they don't really look necessarily at the cost of the, or the real cost of, of setting the home in against, let's say, a pension. I use the example that you can't eat a brick. But if one party keeps a home at the expense of a pension, let's say, how do they actually plan to pay for the house, for example, in the future? That seems to be the most common thing that people do. And they just have, I guess, a bit like the COVID toilet roll situation. People fill their roots in that property, for example, for the children or for whatever sentimental reason. They're not necessarily thinking rationally and looking longer term at the impact of, let's say, a pension and income in retirement. So if you work with a financial planner, they'll actually be able to show you the effect of this. There was a couple I worked with, and they weren't NHS, but he had a final salary, a bit like the NHS pension, and he was adamant, they were retired, he was adamant in buying the wife out of the house. And on paper, it, you know, it sounds like a good decision, saves stamp duty, saves the cost of sale, etc., However, he ran out of money within four years, and we found that out by using cash flow. It could be used at any stage of divorce, and it can help both parties get a much more rational handle on resources and the impacts of that of them both now and in the future. And it might be you can use it, for example, for learning to manage a new budget or thinking about the implications of a decision, or even to try and work out income parity in retirement and basically everything else in between. Yeah, that's super interesting. So basically, like they kind of underestimate the value and usefulness of the pension and overestimate or, or over anchor on the house. And I understand why they might have an emotional attachment there. It's not just all about the money, but I think that's really wise words. Awesome. Thanks, Jane. And just listening to you like discuss all the different ways of doing it, what I'm hearing is that there's a lot of options. So hopefully you can get something that works for both of you in what is a really yeah. tricky situation. So that's really helpful advice there, Jane, but how can you help people avoid making these kind of mistakes? I mean, because to be honest, like most people are thinking you just use solicitor, right? Absolutely. And it used to be the case that you'd work with a planner right at the end when you've been awarded your pension sharing. However, that's just far too late. That Nothing can be done at that point. And the earlier you start working with a planner, whether it's you're thinking about divorce and you want to just discuss the options and what that might look like, or whether it's actually you're working with a solicitor and, and you need to discuss, um, work with a planner as well. But basically, the you can look at other assets. Again, I had a situation with a solicitor where a client or the clients had a portfolio of assets, including EISs, VCTs, offshore bonds, endowments they had a real mixed bag oh they had pensions as well but within the offshore bonds there was a big game which has a massive tax implication the wife's solicitor was actually just going to ignore it because she said I don't understand offshore bonds so we'll ignore it and I was almost clamoring at the door saying you cannot ignore this there's massive tax implications and had the wife not been working with myself she wouldn't have actually been able to she would have gone with what the solicitor said and just said ignore it so I think solicitors are great and they know the law. However, pensions particularly are very complicated, especially the NHS pension. And there's other benefits within the NHS as well, which we haven't even touched on that need to be considered. And it, basically, you need to make sure that you are protected as well, not just on assets, but in the future. And it could be thinking about 
even maintenance. So if you have child or, or spousal maintenance, what happens then if the, the person paying it is ill and unable to work? And then do they have sick pay to continue to pay the maintenance? What happens if they die? Is there a lump sum available for the ex-partner to, for example, look after the children? So there's all sorts of wider aspects of financial planning that need to be considered during divorce that a lot of solicitors may or may not. It, it really depends on who you're working with and, and their knowledge. Another sister I work with, she, she just said, oh, every pension, we just put over to the, the pension divorce ex- expert, which is a POD, and doesn't even try and unpick it. And other meetings I've been in with solicitors where you talk about the range of pensions and what they all do, and they just glaze over. So, And there's a real mixed level of knowledge within solicitors knowledge of pensions which they are legal not financial and that's to be expected so if you work with the NHS you are much more complicated and the need for specialist advice is vital your solicitor will get so far with the legals but it's really important that you work with a planner that understands the NHS and the benefits both that you've got but also that you could be losing and make sure that everybody's protected whether that's the children the spouse or the ex-spouse and just to get a more rational financial decision as I said nobody wins in divorce can be very costly very painful but the more you work with a planner particularly using a cash flow tool which gives you the the more rational financial decisions the better the outcome will be for everybody yeah awesome tips and specific cases why what like the will apply to a lot of our audience you know they have NHS pensions they might have a complex asset structure like you mentioned with the VCT EIS and offshore bonds uh, it's like tax efficient uh, investments bingo there like eis vct pension and offshore bond uh, <laughs> he, he gets a cool house uh, or line or whatever it is in bingo all right so moving on what other things would you say people could think about in order to have i don't know how to phrase it like a better divorce and also like to move on from what i imagine is a really stressful situation yeah, I like to think of it as having a better divorce. Most people fall out during the divorce process and that can really affect children longer term as well. And you've got to think about, would you be able to go to parties together, which might not be the ideal now, but what about weddings in the future? And if you really can't stand each other, that you really need to be thinking longer term and, and playing chess rather than just trying to have a quick win. But in order to achieve that, really, you need to think about the needs of both parties and think rationally about it. Start thinking about your support group. And whilst it's all great to go and sit with your friends and have a moan, everybody loves gossip and the drama of a divorce. And actually that feeds negativity and that can actually affect the outcome as well because you're more angry and more feeling like you've been treated unfairly, whether it's because you've been the stay at home or because you've worked all the hours providing for the family. So it's making sure that you're mixing with the right people and sharing your story with the right people because everybody wants to have an opinion which can actually fuel the fire. So think about who are you going to use a legal route and if so, how is that going to work for you? Will you mediate? Will you try and collaborate with solicitors? It'd be quite difficult and end up in court and think about the budget for all of those sorts of things as well. Do you need to work with a counsellor to move on? Or is it better to work with a coach or a combination of the two? And actually a divorce coach can really help move you on and make you think differently about the whole situation, which leads on to planning, Um, whether that's financial or your financial future plan. Think about your recovery um, and your divorce bucket list. What does your future look like? What do you want to do with your life? And what steps do you need to do to get there? 
those are sort of the the longer term aims of divorce and the short term aims really is thinking about what do you really need everybody thinks that they want the big house for example or, or a car but what do you really need what documentation do you need to support your need and actually the cash flow I've mentioned a few times that can really help support your need by looking at the assets and your expenditure and what what you really essentially need to live off do you have if you have a state pension shortfall for example all of that falls into the cash flow planning and the documentation so it can all support each other but really it's just think about your assets your children if you have children and the needs of you both but really try and focus on that recovery and what your life will look like in the next steps as well to give you something to be a bit more hopeful and optimistic and remember you will get through it it's just a stage in your life and it can be quite exciting where the future is going to take you awesome tips that was brilliant thank you both for your expertise on this kind of i mean it is pretty much a taboo topic i feel so i'm really pleased that we did this episode to sort of sum up and maybe to put on our Instagram reels or our TikTok, they like like short, punchy clips, no dancing required, but what three tips or would you give for anyone that's going through the really stressful process of getting a divorce? Take specialist financial advice. The NHS is complex, so you really need specialist advice and a specialist financial planner. Plan it, get your ducks in a row. The earlier you work with a specialist planner, the more financially rational your divorce will be. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this episode. If people want to get hold of you, what is the best way to get in contact to get your expertise? We have access through Medics Money Requests, contacting yourself, Tommy, or they can contact us directly either through our web page on Mazars Healthcare or Mazar's financial planning's own web page as well should both direct links which will come straight through to myself and Jane and we'll be able to to get back in contact or of course our contact details our email address will be available after this as well brilliant thanks so much 